Mark 4.1 we read, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Through the chapters we've read of the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus teach again and again. If I was to ask someone in our church, what is it that Jesus began to teach? Hopefully I'd get an answer something like this, that Jesus says in Mark 1.15, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Hopefully you've all memorised that verse by now as being the summary of Jesus' teaching. What it is that he's trying to tell people, the kingdom of God is close to you. You can reach out, you can grab it, repent and accept this good news. And so the, the message of the cross and the thing, the symbols that we've talked about over these weeks. But if you were to go to someone in the community, a friend who doesn't go to church or someone in your family or someone who um, knows a little bit about Jesus but isn't really, a, but goes to church or something like that, and say to them, what was it that Jesus taught? What was it that Jesus taught? What was the, the sum of his message? You might get something like this. Hopefully you'd get something like this, something like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You could go and ask them, what was it Jesus taught? And hopefully you'd get something like this. This is uh, often regarded as the core of Jesus' teaching. And then people will go further and say, actually, but that's just what all religious t people teach. Now all religions teach something like the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that's not quite true. Most religions, all, all religions, basically teach the silver rule, which is do no harm. And there's a whole list of them in your uh, notes there from the message of, of, of different religious teachers and their summaries and what they said. Basically they come down to do no harm, as in don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But it's Jesus Christ who is the very first person to put this in a positive way, to turn the silver rule into the golden rule. The silver rule says do no harm. Jesus says actually do good. Do to others what you would have them do to you. In Matthew 7 verse 12. And in the heart of uh, Jesus' teaching or the Sermon on the Mount, he has this, this extraordinary idea, this first person ever to really say this, do to others what you would have them do to you. The religious leaders who'd gone before had said, you know, be nice to your neighbours and be, be good to your friends and, 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 and don't hurt people, don't go around poking people in the eye unless you want them to poke you in the eye. But Jesus is the very first religious teacher to say, do to others what you would have them do to you. He says this because it's his way of summing up all of the Old Testament law and the prophet. He says this sums up the law and the prophet. Actually, the word sums up is not there in the Greek. It's actually Jesus is saying this is the law and the prophets. Doing to others what you would have them do to you. This is the law and the prophets. But he's actually taking a step beyond the law and the prophets by saying something that the law and the prophets never actually said. By summing them up in this way, by, by totalizing them, by fulfilling them in this way. He says, this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is, of course, the division of the Old Testament. The law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the, the prophets, the writings of the various prophets. This sums up their ethical instruction of how Jewish people were to live. This sums up the law and the prophets. And this is at the end of a few chapters in, in Matthew's Gospel of him teaching about the law and the prophets. What is it that, that they're talking about? He begins, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and all those sorts of things. And then in verse 17, he talks, starts talking about the law and the prophets. 
Because one of the challenges to Jesus from the Jewish people was saying, actually, you're trying to do away with our law. You're trying to abolish everything we hold dear, everything we've believed for generations. You're trying to do away with it. Jesus comes and says, no, no. In fact, he says, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, that is to do away with them, but to fulfill them. What does he mean by this word fulfill? And what does he mean by the word abolish? The word abolish really means to disintegrate or destroy or to wipe out. Jesus says, I haven't come here to wipe out the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And what exactly does that mean is something that Christians have been talking about, well, for centuries now. Uh, he goes on and says, For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus is looking forward to a day when actually the law will be wiped out, will be abolished, will be done away with, when everything is accomplished. And again, Christians will, again, Christians will discuss what does it mean everything is accomplished? When Jesus says in there, the heaven and earth do not disappear, is he talking about literal physical heaven and earth? Or is it a hyperbole? Is he just using a, a Jewish expression for when the fat lady sings? Until everything is done, until the heavens and earth is abolished, the law will not be taken away, until everything is accomplished. Some Christians will say that when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, he's talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about it being totally fulfilled. I'm not convinced 100% either way. But Jesus certainly talks about this in a different way. He then goes on and says, Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And again, Christians have the question, what does he mean by commands? He's just been talking about the Old Testament. He's been talking about the law and the prophets and the Ten Commandments there and there. When he says commands, is he talking about that stuff? And other Christians will say, actually, no, he's talking about the stuff he's about to say. The commands of Jesus is what he's talking about. And this is one of those uh, great challenges of, of Christianity. How much should we take seriously the Old Testament law? And how much should we take seriously the New Testament law? And Christians have been talking about this for a long time. What is it that Jesus is commanding here? What exactly is he telling us? Are the commands he's saying that those who follow them will be called least in the kingdom of heaven or great in the kingdom of heaven? Is he talking about the Old Testament? The Old Testament, the law and the prophets? Or is he talking about something new, something different? Is he talking about some other way? The first good news here is that Jesus says that they'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven and great in the kingdom of heaven, depending on how they act on these commands. That is, this isn't a salvation issue. If you're one of these Christians who says, no, we must keep the whole of the Old Testament, we must keep it exactly, we must follow the rules and eat what we should eat and not eat what we shouldn't eat and worship on a Saturday and do those sorts of things, Jesus says, that's not a salvation issue, that's fine, as long as you're trusting in me for grace and faith and those things. And if you're a New Testament Christian who says, actually, no, we can abolish the Old Testament, just go with the New, just go with the commands of Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, that's fine, it's not a salvation issue. But he's talking about something important here. How should Christians act in this world? Should we be following the law and the prophets? Or should we be following a different way of living, a new way of living? And we'll talk about that some more. I think we'll get an answer as we go through. 
This morning we're going to skim very quickly through uh, some chunks in chapter 5 of Jesus and his teaching. And the repeated refrain throughout this chapter is Jesus saying, The Old Testament says this, but I tell you, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, but I say unto you. And even in the next verse, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus suggests to me in this verse that actually the way that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have been trying to enter the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't work. You've got to go beyond that unless you surpass them in your righteousness. Now that seems like a lot of hard work. The, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law worked very hard at being righteous. They kept the rules, they cut their hair in the right way, they kept their beards the right way, they ate exactly the right thing, they followed all the rules, they had all these rules that they followed. And Jesus comes along and goes, unless you're more righteous than them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is where the, the, the argument between Christians comes down to. Uh, I once saw an interview between two Christian pastors. Well, there were two Christian pastors were being interviewed about their books. They'd both written a book about summing up the gospel message. And they sat side by side each other being interviewed uh, by a, a Christian journalist. And they both talked about their books. And I thought, these are really sound very interesting books. So I went and read both of the books. One of the books was called The Naked Gospel. And that guy says basically that the Sermon on the Mount... Um, the Sermon on the Mount, the Jesus teaching here, Jesus just takes the Old Testament law, he turns it up to 11, and he says, no one can possibly keep the law, so trust in me for grace through faith. That is, Jesus says, here's a whole lot of extra rules that you can't possibly keep, so don't even bother to try. Come to me in faith, repent, trust in me. And that was that position of that guy. The other guy said, no, 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 Jesus actually saves us. And then says, now that you've been saved, go and live this way. And yes, the Sermon on the Mount is tough. The things Jesus taught his disciples to do are really tough. And in fact, impossible to do in your own strength. And this writer said, but God gives us his Holy Spirit and helps us. Jesus does mean for us to follow the Sermon on the Mount. And that becomes the great question for Christians today. Are we going to follow what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Or are we just going to say, actually, he didn't mean for us to follow that. He was just trying to force us to repent. I lean towards Jesus actually meant it. I think he means that we should do these things. And so we should live in a completely different way to what the Old Testament law suggested, what the Old Testament law was interpreted to mean. Let's look at what some of the things that Jesus says here. He talks about murder. You have heard it was said long ago, but I tell you. And this is the repeated refrain that we'll see through these, these seven topics that Jesus covers here. You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's a good rule. That's a good rule. But Jesus says, but I go beyond that. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus goes beyond the commandment not to murder and says, actually, don't even be angry with your brother or your sister. Again, he only says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is an old Hebrew way of saying jackass, you fool, uh, will be answered by the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. She's so saying, this is actually quite serious here. You may go your whole life without murdering anyone and yet be really bitter and angry in your heart. And Jesus says, that's just as bad. 
says, gives advice for what we should do. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. More important than what you give to God, Jesus says, is how you behave towards your brother and your sister. Settle matters quickly, pieces of instruction. Do it while you're still in the way. Be thrown into prison. I will not get the The consequences of being angry, Jesus said, are severe. In this world, they're severe, and they'll be severe in the next world as well. Jesus then talks about adultery. The importance of that. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying what's going on inside is actually as important as what you're doing physically on the outside. And he talks about the importance of being holy, being righteous. If there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, throw it away. Get rid of it. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he talks about this. Right hands and left hands. We're going through this pretty quickly. It talks about divorce. In the Old Testament law, it said, if you want to divorce your wife, that's fine. Just give her a piece of paper and set her free. But Jesus says there's actually much more to this than that. Anyone who divorces his wife has made her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And this upsets a lot of Christian people because they think, oh, I've, I've Divorce, I've been divorced in my past, or I've married someone who's been divorced, and it gets in all those sorts of things. Well, we say, first of all, that Jesus is big on forgiveness. And there's nothing he's listing here that cannot be forgiven or repaired. So say that. But at the same time, we need to say that it's really important that the promises we make to our, our spouse, our husband, or our wife, these are really important promises. They're not something to be set aside easily or lightly. It's not... You know, we've done away with polygamy, having multiple wives at once. Now people just have one wife at a time, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And they seem to just switch as they switch their underpants or change their cars. Oh, I'm done with this wife. I'll get a new wife. Jesus says, that's not how Christian people should live. That's not how my followers should live. You should be faithful to the promises you've made. And when that becomes impossible, yes, there is forgiveness. But this isn't a matter of buying a new car or changing your socks. This is a promise made for life. Jesus says this is really important. Then he talks about oaths. Having said it's important to keep your promises, he says, now actually the oaths are also important. This is something that commanded in the Old Testament. You know, make your promise in such a way, go and swear by this and swear by that and do the other. You've heard it said long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord, Lord the oath you have made. But Jesus says, I tell you, don't even swear an oath. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or the earth, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. He goes on. He says, actually, all of this, all you need to do, all you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything that comes from beyond this comes from the evil one, comes from Satan, comes from the accuser, comes from hell. Jesus says, keep your word. You don't need to swear elaborate oaths. You just have to be a person who can be trusted. That goes back to our divorce uh, thing a moment ago. Jesus says, keep your promises. You don't need to swear by black and blue. You can't change the color of a hair on your head. He says, so what's the good of swearing big words? Actually, just say yes or say no. Keep your promises, Jesus says. Keep your promises. Be a trustworthy person. 
He goes on and talks about the, the law of the Old Testament, which was a good law to limit uh, violence. And we've seen a lot of violence on the news and things happening at the moment. This eye for an eye. You poked me in the eye, I'll poke you in the eye. You knocked out my tooth, I'll knock out your tooth. The Old Testament law was good as far as it went, in that it said, actually, there's a limit to where revenge can go. You knocked out my tooth, well, I'm not allowed to kill you as punishment for that. Or you slap me on the cheek, I'm not allowed to stab you. Jesus said the Old Testament law was there to say, actually, there needs to be a limit to this sort of thing, because otherwise things just spiral out of control. You killed my grandfather because he killed your grandfather because he killed his grandfather because he killed that guy's grandfather. And so you and I hate each other today. The Old Testament law was there to say, actually, we need to draw a line under these things and say, that's it. That's the punishment. We're done. But Jesus actually says, we're going to do away with even that. We're going to go beyond that. You've heard it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is something really tough for Christian people, particularly Western Christian people, because we're used to always being right. And how dare you and the whole thing, and we end up with just wars, what we call just wars. They attacked us, so we get to attack them back, and the whole thing. Jesus says, that's not how my people should live. goes on and talks about that. If someone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Go in the extra mile. Go in the distance. Give to the one who asks for you, the one who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. And then Jesus comes to the end of these points, summing up the Old Testament law. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The Old Testament law said to love your neighbor. That's true. But it also talked about yeah, the things you could do to your enemies, how you could punish them and pay them back. But Jesus says, we're not going to do that anymore. We're moving into a different way of doing things. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They may be children of your Father in heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to be children of your Father in heaven? We'll come to that in just a moment. He says, God is like this. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is good. He does good to all people, whether they're good or bad. He shows kindness and generosity and love towards all people. It's not like the, the wicked never get the sun to shine on them or never have rain to fall on their crops. And so Jesus says, if you want to be like God, you need to be kind to people even when they're not kind to you. You need to show love to people even when they treat you poorly. He says, if you're only nice to people who are nice to you, that's not being like God. God is good to all. If you only greet your own people, aren't you doing? What good is that? Don't even the pagans do that. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is one of those verses that us Wesleyans, us Methodists, love to talk about because it talks about the reality of perfection, that he's telling us to do something. We can be perfect. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't command, it, command us to do it. We can be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. In what ways is our heavenly Father perfect? He's perfect in the way he shows love even to his enemies. We can't be perfect in the way that, you know, God never makes a mistake. 
We're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. We can't be perfect the way God is in that he knows everything. We're never going to know everything. We can't be perfect like our Father is always making the right choices. We can't possibly be perfect like that. And yet Jesus tells us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is. He's saying, love the way your Heavenly Father loves. Love your enemies. Be good to those who hate you. That's tough. That's big. That's hard. But Jesus says, you won't have to do it on your own. I'll come by my Holy Spirit and I'll help you. So did Jesus mean the things he said? Yes, I'm convinced he did. I'm convinced that Jesus meant that we should try to live out these ways, that we should try to live the Sermon on the Mount out. He's not just, Jesus didn't just turn the Old Testament up to 11 to force us to our knees and beg for forgiveness. He did that. We certainly need forgiveness. We certainly need to repent. But how should we live having repented? Jesus says, this is the way I want you to live. And I will help you to live this way. This week, uh, as we look at our fingers, our faith fingers, our ways of doing things, things of thinking about what we can do, I encourage you to take some private time this week. Read through these verses. Read them through and pray them through. Is there something here that's speaking to me today, Lord? Is there something I need to do about this? Go to that trusted friend. Have those conversations, those deeper conversations. What would it mean for me, for you? Is there something in my life that you see that's inappropriate? Something that's contrary to the teachings of Jesus in this way. Go to that deeper level with that trusted friend as you read through this chapter. Go to the groups. We've got small questions this morning. Questions that you can ask each other in your groups. We're resuming some of our groups uh, this next week. So I encourage you to be a part of that. If you're not part of a small group, form one. You don't need special training or a degree or a, a big hat. You know, if you want a big hat, I'll give you a big hat. But if you've got a group of friends and you say, well, let's get together and talk about the scriptures. Let's gather and go through the questions. Let's review these things. Do it. Mission. What can we do out of this week that would help us to point people towards Jesus? Well, that first question that I ask, go to someone who's not a Christian or isn't following Jesus or someone who's not part of a church and say to them, what do you think Jesus taught the most? What did you think Jesus taught about? And if they come back to you with a question about the golden rule, you could say to them, is it something that all people taught? If they say yes, you could say, well, actually, no. Jesus was the first one to put it down in that way. First one to write it in that, to say it out loud in that sense. And it might point you to a conversation, pointing someone towards Jesus. But ask that question of someone this week. What was it that Jesus taught about? And then church. Church, hooray! We're getting closer and closer to restarting our church as a physical gathering. Uh, so the government have, immediately after I spoke to you last Sunday, the, the Premier then changed the rules. So as of next Sunday, we'll be able to have gatherings of up to 20 people in our building uh, for the next couple of weeks. So again, for those folks who aren't, um, aren't internet savvy or haven't been able to communicate over the line, we'll be having small gatherings of those folks on Sunday morning. And then within a few weeks of that, we'll be back to gatherings of up to 100 people. So we'll be having regular sort of worship again Slightly different in some ways. Again, we're not allowed to shake hands, Vulcan salute, the whole thing. You remember the deal. But thank God for the way that things are changing in our country and the way the government's handled it all. So that's what we're heading towards. I 
encourage you to, to, to do each of these five practices this week in relation to uh, this chapter. How can my worship reflect this? Well, hopefully this morning, the songs we've sung, the things we're doing can point us to this. As a church this morning, we're actually going to now uh, participate in communion, taking part in, the, in our bread and the wine, symbolically celebrating the fact that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him. He's not saying to us, here are my rules, follow them, and then you'll be saved. He's saying, because I have saved you, this is how I want you to live. Because Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with God, we should therefore be perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect. So, let's have communion together and celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbours, and you who do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from this time in his holy ways, draw near with faith. Take this holy sacrament to your comfort and meekly make your humbly confession to Almighty God. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of mercy gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, we ask you to accept our praise. We thank you for your love, for the gift of your Son, for the sacrifice he made on our behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins and the cleansing of our hearts, and for the present witness of your Holy Spirit to our hearts that we are your children. Grant that, as we receive this bread and cup, in memory of Christ's death and suffering, in communion with you and with your children, we may be made partakers of his body and blood, who on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it, in memory of me. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your soul and body unto everlasting life. Take and eat this, remembering that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your heart, by faith, with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your soul and body unto everlasting life. Drink this, remembering that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you this morning. That because who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, we can have perfect relationship with you. Father God, help us this morning to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus, to meditate on them in our heart, and to live in response to what he has done for us. 
Father God, I pray that we would not try to earn our way into your love, into your forgiveness, into your heaven. But Father God, we would accept the gift you have given us and live our lives in response to that gift. Father God, help us by your Holy Spirit to take these words of Jesus seriously, to live in love, to live in grace, to live in peace with all those around us. Father God, for our troubled world at this time, we pray your peace to come. We pray for your peace to be restored. I pray for Christian people everywhere to live by the words of Jesus. To go the extra mile. To love their enemies. To turn the other cheek. Father God, help us to do that as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge of and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.